0: Awesome. Um, I, got, I got the uh, honor of introing Raul. Raul, come on up here. Let's give it up for Raul. If you don't, if you don't know Raul, he's our young adult pastor. But a couple, uh, a couple words I would say to describe him. Raul, is, he's very passionate and he loves Jesus. You know, I look at it this way. Mama Marie taught me how to pray. Raul gets me excited to pray. If you've heard this man pray, it's, to me, it's, it genuinely stirs me up to begin to pray. You know, in Jeremiah it says, uh, if they're a prophet, let them carry the word of the Lord and make intercession to the Lord of hosts. And Raul carries a prophetic spirit, he carries the word of the Lord, and he makes intercession. So um, I believe he's carrying something for us this morning. You guys want to go ahead and stand with me, and we're just going to let him pray and release a word over us. You want to pray or you want me to pray? You pray. You pray. I'm telling you, you got to get us excited to pray. You go ahead. Let's give it up for Brandon. He's one of my greatest friends and greatest brothers. I love you, man. Thank you. Let's pray. You might want to turn that down a little bit. You might want to turn that down a little bit. Father, when the world has declared war upon the church, God, we take our stand this morning. Father, I'm asking for eyes to be opened this morning, God. New realities, God, that's all I've been praying for the last three days. New realities, wake us up, God. I was sent a picture this morning of a feminist group that went before a a massive Catholic church dressed up like Mother Mary and showed what it would look like if Mary did what they wanted, which was to be to abort Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm ready to make war. I'm ready to wage war in prayer. Father, I'm asking God, ignite our hearts this morning. Father, I'm praying for resurrection of hearts, God Resurrection of families, God I'm asking for shiftings in the spirit, God Father, that you would break open the heavens, God You would break open our families, God I'm asking for more this morning And I'm believing it, God You would do it You would do it This is your promise That you will pour out your spirit on all flesh God I'm asking do it this morning God father I just thank you Lord I thank you for every family in this room God I pray the blood of Jesus over every family in this hour God anoint husbands God anoint wives God anoint sons and daughters God give us the spirit of prayer in this hour God Break open our hearts, God. Break up our fallow grounds, Lord. Come on, we can get more work done right here in this five minutes than I could ever do in 45 minutes of preaching. God, I'm asking, break in. Break in. Wake me up, God. Restore tears, God. Restore tears, God. We break our alabaster jar and say, You're worth our inheritance. You're worth our life. We give it to you. And Father, I speak to that baby God who we got the update this morning that his heart stopped beating and the mom is, is has been asked to give birth to this stillborn at 7 o'clock today. God, I'm believing for heartbeat. God, I'm believing for resurrection. God, I'm believing for life, God. I will contend day and night, God. Tears and supplication that you would restore a family. Jesus. Jesus, you are the giver of life. You are the giver of life, not a doctor and not a physician. You are the giver of life. Father, we just thank you In Jesus name, you can be seated. I need to stop because if I don't, we'll just, I'll have to call Allison up and Eddie on the drums and start a war cry. (sighs) Let me just say this, I was, this has nothing to do with my, well maybe, I don't know. I was born born premature, I was born at at 26 weeks. People think I'm short just because I'm Mexican but that's not only that but it's cuz i was born premature maybe i don't know but i was born at 26 weeks and with this with this recent law passed about abortion up to full term i've been telling I, My heart's been so grieved because I'm like, there's no way you can look at my mother. There's no way you can look at my father and say at 26 weeks of life that I was not a life in the womb. I could show you pictures. I could bring you articles where literally they declared that I was a miracle because my lungs weren't fully developed. It's crazy because I can yell so loud. But my lungs weren't fully developed. There was no lining in my stomach. They told my mother that I would die within three days. I had infection going through my body. My brain was swollen. And my mother, at 19 years old, with no hope and no, not, no reality of God, all she knew was there's something bigger. There's something. There, there, there is a God out there. I just don't, I just don't know him. She, uh, she was telling me last year, she said, I didn't know what to do, so I just grabbed you. I held you in, in one hand, and I said, Father, I consecrate this baby to you. And for the first year of his life, I will not cut his hair and I give him to you. I'm telling you this, a woman at 19 years old, 19, 20 years old, doesn't know what to do, gives a baby to God, and and I'm dying of infection. There's no hope for me. The next morning comes in and my body's restored. Come on, I want to ignite faith in this room this morning. I'm a living example that there is life in the womb. I don't care if it's full, born or full term or early. There is life in the womb. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this. He says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. I want to impart my life to you this morning. I don't. The temptation was to come up here and try to sound lofty and try to sound like Barry and prophesy like Jeremiah, but I can't do that. All I can give you is what I have become. Yeah. <clears throat> so here we are. I told Jeremiah, I said, you must be an incredible spiritual father. He said, why? I said, because you, you're expediting my crucifixion. He said, what do you mean? I said, the first time you asked me to preach was after, was after Dr. Davis. Who, who so beautifully explained to us the hypostatic union, which most theologians can't do. If you don't know what that means, we can talk after. He, so he set me up, but I called in sick. I had the flu. I'm like, I can't do it. This time he calls me after Mario Marillo preaches, and he says, Hey, you're preaching next Sunday. I said, Man, you really either love me or hate me, because you're expediting my crucifixion. So I'm honored to be here. I want to thank the elders for having me, but... Coming off that conference, I have one question. My question is this, what are we doing with the fresh fire that was given to us? What, what, are, what are we doing when we left that conference and we got home? How are we stewarding that deposit? Deposit. This is something I've been asking myself, how am I tending the flame that's upon my heart? That these choice vessels, as Jeremiah called them, as these men, as these fathers and leaders, gave us something, broke through. I, I remember Lewis here, the first time he spoke it during the conference, he was like, I, I felt like I could just explode or implode one or the other. And I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much more. I need to wake up. Did anyone else feel like that? Through the conference, you're like, man, I need to wake up. Well, in Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 9, it says, And the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of, of riches and the desires for other things entered in and choked the word. And it, be, and it became unfruitful. And those, and those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on good soil. And they heard the word and accepted it and bare fruit. 30, 60, and 100-fold. So this verse is telling us that, these, that, that we, have been, we have been given seeds, amen? We have been given seeds, and when we receive those seeds, those seeds can either be planted and grow, or they can be choked and killed. So, it, But what's interesting is this. It says, in the worries of this world, See, we come off of these spiritual highs or whatever you want to call them. We come off of these exciting teachers and these exciting preachers, and then we kind of get back into the regular mundane of life. I have a a spiritual son. I bought him a Bible, and I wrote in the front, I said, remain faithful in the mundane because that is the way in which you'll become a pillar of righteousness to a generation. And, And this is my heart, that we would not only burn for conferences and church services, but we would burn in the place of being fathers, in the place of being mothers, in the place of being sons and daughters because this is telling us that the worries of this world can kill it. So beyond the conference, this is what's happening at Hot FM. If you haven't caught it, I'll just catch you up on speed. Uh, Hot FM is becoming not only a national recognized house, it's become a, a, a regional gathering place. We have we've had all these shiftings happen. We have the school. If you're part of Maranatha, raise your hand. We have this, man, give it up for them. These are some of my heroes. Some of them are in Winter Haven. Others are here. Some are even sick. But we have a, a ministry school that is opened and that we have begun shaping and molding the next generation of leaders, end-time messengers. We've had, we've had uh, new elders, Derek and Jess. We've had a new, a new church plant in Winter Haven. We've even had new staff, Mick and Sonia and Miss Ellen and Philip. I mean, it's incredible. If you don't know Miss Ellen... Um, You need to get to know her because if you don't hear the Holy Spirit, just talk to her. But in the midst of all of this, my heart has been been burdened that we steward all this well. Because I think Jeremiah shared it on the platform briefly, but he had a dream that he came to the church, or he saw the church, and the enemy was going to every door. Shaking every door and seeing what ministry, what door of the church was open or he could crack open to get a foothold. He had this dream where, where the, the enemy is saying, where is the weak spots at heart of the father? Where are the weak places in the ministry? And for the last week, I've just been so burdened over that. And I've just been been praying that, Father, you would strengthen every door. That above every door would be the blood of Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. That no enemy, no voice of accusation, no gossip, no slander could enter in these doorways. And as I've just been so burdened... uh, Three separate times leading into the conference, even recently, the Lord woke me up audibly with the voice of the weapon of prayer. The first time it happened, I was putting, I was putting my, my, my daughter down to sleep for a nap, and I remember laying her down in the bed, and I heard it, and I got scared. I thought somebody was in her room, and then I realized it was the Father, and that. After that, I, I, was, I was laying in bed, and I was dead asleep, and I was jolted awake out of my bed. You're going to ask my wife. It happens quite often. I was jolted out of my bed, and I'm like, I'm looking around because I thought someone was in my room because I heard the weapon of prayer. Because I believe I believe the weapon of prayer is the key to sustaining seeds, to sustaining revival in the next season. It's a key for the next season of Heart of the Father. A great man of God said, Prayer will be the primary anointing of the end time church, fueled by the Holy Spirit in the reality of its bridal identity. Jeremiah's been prophesying it's the year of the watchman, and I've been prophesying it's the year of the restored priesthood. I think they're one and the same. Here's what God is saying Open up your eyes, look around. If you don't believe in prayer, if you don't walk in the reality of prayer, you will be swallowed up in this day and age in which we live in. There will be no anointing, there will be no fire, there will be no fresh revelation. We cannot afford in the church, outside of the church, we cannot afford not to live in the place of prayer. And I know you're like, oh, well, that's Raul, he just loves intercession. No, I'm telling you, there's nothing new. This, this Bible doesn't say, oh, yelling in prayer is for Sarah and Raul and Brandon and whoever. No, prayer is your portion as it is mine. I want to tell you this, as a gatekeeper in this house, I don't say that pridefully. Doyle Bradford came years ago and, and he spoke that over me. You're a gatekeeper in this house. And I know as a prophetic messenger to a generation, I'm a gatekeeper. So I want to stir the gift of faith inside of you. I want to establish you in the place of prayer that you would know the realities in which you are saying these aren't just words coming out of your mouth. This is reality shifting heaven. Amen. I got three people. Amen. We must connect the reality of our words to, we, we must connect our words to how to the reality of how much you mean to the Father. The foundation of prayer, in my opinion, is sonship. Because do you know that when we're up here or we're in the secret place, you're not just muddling off words. You're not just trying to fill the atmosphere. You're not just trying to waste time. It's not, it's not Eastern religion where it's saying, empty your mind of all things. Um, No, that is not what's happening. What's happening is I'm filling myself with the fire of God. I'm I'm speaking out of my mouth the word of God that won't bring back void. I'm partnering with his will and I'm pulling strongholds down over cities. Come on, that is good. We're actually shifting things physically, spiritually, and instantly. Come on. And in American culture, we love all things instant, but we forget the place of prayer where everything happens instantly. I don't care if you, if you don't see it, if you don't feel it, there are things changing. There are things changing. Leonard Ravenhill, if you don't know who he is, well, you should. If you're in this church, you probably do. But he, says, pre- he said, preaching affects men, prayer affects God. Preaching affects time, but prayer affects eternity. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, you write this down. Preaching affects men. Prayer affects God. Preaching affects time, but prayer affects eternity. I'm believing that there's a jailbreak upon us. I believe Jesus in this hour, not only with the sin, but I believe in this hour, God is going to loose a jailbreak all across this nation. So for some of us, let me remind some of us and let me prophesy to others. In, In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, it says, For he delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me remind us in Hebrews 10, uh, 19 through 22, it says, We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He goes on to say, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Colossians said, you have been delivered, you have been transferred, and you have inherited the kingdom. Colossians says, we have redemption and forgiveness. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe you have been delivered and transferred into the kingdom? Amen. Hebrews says, you have confidence to enter. My daughter doesn't knock on my door. Why? Because she has confidence. She swings the door open and says, "Daddy, I'm hungry." <laughs> Last night, I was putting her to bed, and, and we she kind of like she likes to drink a cup of water and eat a piece of. Uh, string cheese before bed every night. She loves it. And so I had her a cup of water and her string cheese and I'm waiting on her. I said, I said, baby, say good night to sister Dina and and, and mommy and give her a hug and come in the room. She swings the door open. She said, daddy, we pray. I said, amen. I got next to her bed. She said, no, daddy, we pray and points at the ground. Get on your knees. We're going to pray. I'm telling you, I can show you a recording. She prays in the spirit. I'm telling you, it's awesome. She said, Daddy, we pray. I said, Amen. She has confidence to enter. She doesn't say, Daddy, can I have this? She says, Daddy, I have it? She ain't asking questions. She knows if if it's okay and if it's the will of the Father and Mommy, we can make it happen. It says a new and living way. If you were to translate that from the Greek and Hebrew into English, it would say that by Jesus, there's a freshly slain way. It's not only his mercies are new every day, the blood sacrifice is new for you every day as well. He inaugurated us through himself. That is the best guarantee you could ever have. He not only gave it, he backs it and ensures it. I don't know if we understand the magnitude of this. I know I don't. We mean so much to the Father that he not only gave it all, but through Jesus he restores all. He not only gave it all for you, but he's in the business of restoring all of you. My wife could probably tell you there's some parts of Raul that are extremely jacked up. She's patient, she's kind with me, but but he's restoring all things in me. He's restoring all things in you. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. If you have it, give me an old school amen. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. Although he is owner of everything... He is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons." That's a good promise. So we have to ask the question in this verse, what is the difference between a son and a child? What's the difference? The difference is one word, adoption. Adoption makes the difference. B had no idea that I was going to talk about that this morning, and I just thought it was beautiful. Dustin got up here in all his cuteness and all his fire and prayed for adoption. I love it. The man I'm telling you, that prayer probably shifted more things than your favorite intercessor ever will. Adoption makes the difference. Because here's the thing. Adoption in our culture is taking a child from one family and making it a member of another. That's in our culture. But in the Greek and Roman culture, a father adopted none as his son but his own. So let me explain that because you're probably like, that doesn't make any sense. So what does this mean? Simply put, birth made him a child, but adoption made him a son. Birth made him a child, but adoption gave him sonship. A great theologian. He said, in Eastern lands, it was the practice of a noble father to submit his infant male child to the child training in the tutelage of a trusted household servant. This was possible because many slaves were captive, captives from conquered, civilized nations. Educated, noble in character, and qualified to serve as a child trainer, such slaves were esteemed members of the household staff. It was into such custody that infant child was entrusted until the time he should come of age. Actually, then the child, though heir apparent, was no different from the servant in whom he was submitted. Because during the long period of child training, it was the tutor's task to bring the child into the ways, the purposes, and the spirit of the father and his family. So by this, we see that the role of the Holy Spirit isn't always to bless us. It isn't always to get us the fuzzies and the feelies and we're falling out and rolling all over the floor. That's great. That's awesome. But he's, his role is not only to do that. His role is not only to get us prophesying and doing miracles, but his role, one of his primary role, is to raise us up into maturity in Christ. That as sons, we're carrying the ways, the purposes, in the spirit of our Father. A famous English writer, he was saved. Don't worry, he wasn't just an English writer, he was saved. R.B. Jones, he says this, To be a son is infinitely more than to be a child. The terms are never loosely used by the Holy Spirit. It is is not a difference in relationship, but in position. A child is one born of God. A son is one taught of God. A child has God's nature, but a son has God's character. Hyper grace don't fly with that. Let me keep going. The revelation of sonship is directly linked to our our life in prayer. Because when we understand our position, that's when the heavens are moving at the sound of the voice of the sons. If you're a woman in here, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, you're a son. Because if Will Williams, with all his big old jacked arms, can be a bride, you can be a son. If I'm a bride, you're a son. So I'm telling you, sons in this room, when we get this revelation of sonship, all of heaven is moving at the sound of your voice. Oh, boy. We're Williams in a wedding dress. <laughs> Let me tell you a personal story. I like stories. Who likes stories? That's why I like Lou Engle because he just tells stories. I'm like, I can. He said one time. He said, uh, two plus two reaches the head, but once upon a time reaches the heart. And that's good. I'm like, so I'm up here, I'm like, I'm just gonna tell stories because I want to reach your heart. I'll offend your mind, don't worry, but I wanna reach your heart. See, when I first got saved, I wasn't given anything else. I, I was given three things. Well, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I was given three other things: a Bible. And I come from an old-school, AG, Pentecostal, fire-baptized, like, that's the kind of church I come from. So this, this woman, this spiritual mama in my life, gave me a bottle of olive oil that you can find on any shelf in your local supermarket. And I said, what makes this oil different? She said, ah, mijo, I prayed for it. <clears throat> she, said, she said, this is what you do. Pour it on your head, anoint yourself as a prophet. Drink, <laughs> drink some of it, anoint your insides, because I know they're not holy. She had me rolling. She was funny. But she gave me a bi- she gave me a Bible. She gave me olive oil and she gave me a Jason Upton CD. Ishkatai. Jason Upton. And I would spend hours Literally, I would, go, I, would, I would go to school. I had an hour and a half bus ride because I was expelled from all the county schools in my area. And I lived way out in the middle of Egypt. It probably was as close to Cairo as you can get. And my school was way across town out by the beach. And I had an hour and a half drive and I would put Jason Upton in my ears and I would get home from school and he'd be playing on my radio. And I'd sit in my room and I'd just cry and read scriptures. My mom thought I went crazy because I declared war on the spirit of comfort. I ripped up my carpet so I had concrete floors. I took everything off my walls and I began writing Bible all over my wall. I looked like a psychopath. (laughs) I had a haircut every week. I took a Nazarite vow before I ever knew what that was. The father said, don't cut your hair. Don't shave your face. Don't go around any dead bodies and stay clean because I will raise you up in the days ahead. And people literally thought I went crazy. And so I had this Jason Upton CD, and it would play on loop in my house. I'll get into that in a minute. But I would play on loop, and he would just sing about sonship. He would sing about the spirit of adoption. He would cry out, Abba. He would say, come sit in the lap of your father. He would say, if you've been adopted, you can never be rejected. A blood son can be rejected, but an adopted son can never be rejected. And I remember just weeping, saying, Father, you have adopted me. I don't understand it. I don't know why, but you have adopted me. You don't need me, but you want me. I remember it it impacting my heart so deeply, and I would just cry for hours and fast for hours because I was so sick with an orphan heart until one day his presence flooded my room, and I'll never forget it. He said, my son, (laughs) he said, my son, I see you. And I know you. You don't know what that does to someone who's been rejected their entire life. He said, my son, he could have said that and I'd be undone for all eternity. But he said, I see you and I know you. I want to prophesy to someone in this room, the father calls you son. He sees you and he knows you. That's the moment. That's the moment my prayers went from begging God to linking arms with a loving father Though I was loosing angels on assignment. Come on, he's not a stepfather. He is connected in intimately and he knows you. Nothing against stepfathers. I praise God for you, but he's closer than that. He's closer than a brother. He's closer than a friend. He is the very breath on the inside of you. That's the moment I went from begging God to linking arms with the Father, loosing angels on assignment to ambush people for his glory. I'm telling you, I'm not just saying that I believe it and we still do it. People, someone was making fun of me recently because I was praying and I said, Father, unleash the hounds of heaven. They said, Is there dogs in heaven? I said, I don't know, but unleash the hounds of heaven. Because if you if they get to barking, people are gonna wake up. Let me keep moving. So I went from, the Father said, my son, I see you and I know you. So I no longer was praying, can you or could you? My prayer language went to, you will and you are. Let me give you another story. See, my house, after I got saved, my house was still the party house. You can ask Kathleen. She was there. She's been a part of my life. Long before we got married, she's incredible. She has amazing stories. A a woman that knows how to pray. Young men, get you a woman that knows how to pray, that knows how to fast. I'm telling you, that will call you out on your laziness, call you out on your orphan tendencies. That is my wife. She's incredible, man. I'm telling you. If you think, for any reason, if you think I carry any revelation or any anointing, I get it all from that woman right there. I'm telling you. So my house was still the party house. My friend, the, the friends were still coming over to get high and drunk and hang out and have a good time with my sister, my uncles, with my mom, with my stepfather. They would still come over. And here was weird Raul sitting in his room playing. I, literally, their music never was louder than Jason Upton singing over my house. They're out, they're out there smoking joints and doing drugs and they're, they're hearing Uh, They're hearing, you know, that song, Fly? Y'all remember the song, Fly? I used to play it because I heard that there was an angel singing in it, so I'd turn it up and say, loose the hounds of heaven and apprehend them. And one night, listen to this, one night I'm praying, I'm I'm in my room, I have his music playing, and I'm just praying. And I feel this presence in my room, and I'm like, that's not the Father's presence. That feels like someone's literally in here. And I opened my eyes and all four of my best friends are next to me and I'm in shock. And so I literally paused the music, turned on the light and I said, what are you guys doing in here? They said, they said, I don't know. I said, well, what brought you in here? They said, we can't get high. We can't get drunk. And the only place we feel peace is in this room. (laughs) I'm telling you, there is power when you pray there is hope for the prodigal there is hope for the lost even if on your watch they're getting high and drunk god will apprehend them i cannot get high i cannot get drunk one of them said in my heart is burning he said i haven't eaten food all day i just want to get high but my heart is burning it's not heartburn i said brother that's conviction Hear me, hear me. Because I don't want to condemn anyone that doesn't feel... You may be in a season where you don't feel close to the Father. You may feel that that word Father is is abrasive or offends you because of pain in your past. But I want to tell you this morning, I know the pain and I know the hurt. I know the pain of feeling disconnected from the Father. But I also want to tell you there's grace to come close this morning. I've had so many fathers in my life that have promised so many things to me and walk out at any chance they get. I have an incredible earthly father. If if You can never forget his name unless you forget mine because it's the same, Raul. And he's incredible. He's one of my heroes. But there was a time in which our hearts weren't connected. See, my mother and my father, they were divorced when I was 10 years old. And I went from... An advanced kid advancing through my, my my school, advancing through everything I was doing. I was excelling in all things. The divorce happened the next year. I was in a dropout prevention class with 12 kids. I, th- I was throwing desks through windows of the portable that they kept us in the back of the uh, back of the middle school. We were getting in fights constantly. Literally, we we're we were running drugs through the school. Our biggest connect was the janitor. She was, she was, I, I kid you not, someone just looked at me like, what? The janitor was our connect. We trafficked drugs in middle school from Miami up to Fort Lauderdale. This is what we did as middle schoolers. I was written off. There's no hope. The librarian came to me one day. She said, you're going to end up two places. She said, you're going to end up two places. You're going to end up in prison or you're going to end up dead. I I now want to find her say, I'm going to end up two places, breaking open the jails or resurrecting the dead. See, me and my father, we disconnected because one night, I, one night, I, I, baseball was my passion. I love baseball. I don't really love it that much anymore. Well, I still love it, but I don't watch it. I'm a terrible fan, but I loved it growing up. And I played in this, I played in this scouting tournament where you know people come to you know watch you play and see how good you are. And 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 I was I was pretty good. And this this particular game, we went to start the game, and I sat myself on the bench. My father didn't know I was dealing with all this pain, all this... I didn't know what to do. My whole life had crumbled... A Christian man came to my, my mother and was having an affair with her for six months to a year before my father found out. And so I took it as a 10 year old kid that that man who, who knew God and knew Jesus, that the father told him to come do this to my family. So I became an atheist at 10 years old. And now I'm sitting on the ball field with all my hopes and all my dreams before me. And I don't want anything to do with it because my heart is broken. I sit myself down, I don't play. My, we get in the truck. My father, he did the best he could with me. He's the most loving. He'll give you the shirt off his back. He'll give you the food off his plate. He's incredible. But he was in the pain of heartbreak. He was in the pain of addiction. He was in the pain of desperation. And he said, Raul, what's wrong with you? I didn't say anything. He said, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you play? I didn't say anything. He said, get out of my car. I said, I don't want anything to do with you. He said, good, get out. And for three and a half years, I didn't talk to him for three and a half years. Fast forward, making a long story short. I I told you I was born premature. From the drug abuse over time, I landed in the hospital with my lungs collapsing as an atheist. I said, God, I don't believe in you. I literally, that night, I remember saying, if you're as good as they say you are, and if eternity is real, And I die, I know I won't be with you because I have chosen this life. I have chosen a life to refute you. I have chosen a life to say people shouldn't have anything to do with you because you ruined my family and I was a hurt, broken orphan that wanted nothing to do with God because a Christian who represents God destroyed it all. Grace is great, but don't live in compromise because you never know the seeds you're planting. So I said, God, all of a sudden, after I said that, the reality of eternity settled in this room. And I knew I was going to hell. I knew I was going to die. I knew I was going to hell. I come from a family that does Santeria witchcraft, it's Catholicism mixed with witchcraft. So I've always, as, as a child, I've always been a prophetic dreamer. I've always had night terrors. I've always seen angels and demons. And for those that week leading up to this moment, I would see a literal spirit of death just following me. People say, Raul, why are you alone so much? I said, because what's following me, I don't want it to get you. But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I wound up on my deathbed. I said, God, if you're real and you show yourself to me, if I get up off this bed, I promise you I'll serve you. All the days of my life. Hear me, I wasn't in desperation. I'm just saying, God, if you're going to show up, this is the time. I wasn't desperate because I knew that I chose this life. But man, a father, in all his grace, I went to sleep. I, I... I say I passed out from the exhaustion of feeling I couldn't breathe, the anxiety and the depression that settled in and I I went to sleep and woke up with a light shining in my room. I thought it was morning time but there was a man standing next to my bed in white linen. I could not see his face because glory was emulating from it. And he took, he took his left hand and he touched my head and he ran all the way down my body. He got to my feet and the sun rose, over, r- rose into the window and I saw the hole in his hand and instantly I was healed. Instantly I knew Jesus was alive and he was God. I, get a, I, I leave there. As soon as I leave, my dad, my father had, 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 caught, had, caught hold, had caught hold that I was in the hospital, and he called me, and my phone rang, and I went to ignore it, and the father said, how could you ever, if you don't forgive him, pick up the phone, if you don't forgive him, how could you ever expect me to forgive you or for you to truly hear from me? Because he's the rep- representation of me and the earth. I picked up the phone, I said, I said, Pops, I'm sorry. He said, said, I'm sorry. He said, I haven't been there. We were restored in a moment. He's been my best friend ever since. I'm telling you, there's hope this morning. I know the pain of rejection. I've, I've been kicked out of youth groups. They used to, they used to get a prayer list in the, in the youth group I finally joined after two years of just sitting in my room. And they used to write this list of all the worst people in the high school. And they'd put it on a list and give it to us in a prayer meeting. And, and I, I joined these prayer meetings and I would sit in the back. See, all I knew was to fast pray and travail. That's all I knew. I didn't know good church politics. I didn't know what was acceptable and what wasn't. So when the Spirit would come, I would just travail and groan and like, sound like a hippo giving birth to an elephant. It just was like a, a leader, a father that I was admiring. I, I admired uh, much of. I was actually wanting to be a firefighter because I loved him so much, and he was the chief. He came to me, and he said, Son, he said, I know you're zealous, I know you're passionate, but you don't need to do all that. He said, If you're going to continue... Like we just, we, we can't have it in this room. And I walked out and I shut the travail down for years. I shut the groaning down for years. The tears stopped flowing. Because of a leader and a father that didn't understand the travail or the gift that was on the inside of me. I know the pain of feeling that your words don't matter to the father. Or they feel that they're not precious. Turn to Revelation 5.8. I want to give you this one scripture of hope. Revelation 5.8, it says, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Golden bowls full of incense. Do you know that your father not only loves you, but he holds on to every word and is filling the atmosphere of heaven? We have to understand the power that's behind the prayers that we speak to the Father. See, my life has been radically marked by two things, prayer and intercession. Two people have marked my life tremendously, and I want to invite you in to my story. And the first is is I call her Mama Lapita. She was my best friend, Eric. I I met him in eighth grade. He was my best friend. We ran together. We still keep up with him. I love him. He's a brother like no other. I say that because I could call him right now and say, Eric, what are you doing? He'll say, oh, I'm sitting at mama's house. He's not talking about his house. He's talking about my mother's house, eating spaghetti, eating up all her food. This was my best friend. We used to sell drugs together. We used to rob houses together. And we did this because his mother was dying of of, of stage four leukemia. She was dying. She was was 80 pounds, had an oxygen tank. She She was bedridden, couldn't get up. So we, be- we began selling drugs. We began robbing houses to try to help her make ends meet. And I'll never forget it. We walked in her room one day. We said, Mama, here's some money. Laying in her bed with her tank on, she lifted her hand and she said, I can never take that money because my father provides for me and my family. See, what she was saying and what she was teaching me was, I may be bound in my body, but my words will shift heavens. She was teaching me Daniel 10. She was teaching me Daniel 10, where it says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, from the first day that you were that you set your heart on understanding and humbling yourself, your words were heard. Your words were heard, and I've come in response to your words. See, I didn't know it till later, till Eric told me, but but the same time. That she was dying and I was coming into the kingdom. She looked at Eric with her eyes open. And she said, Man, I don't don't even know how to register this. As a mother telling her own son this, she looks at him and says, Raul will carry my legacy. As a mother, how do you look at your son and look at someone that's not even your blood You care so much about the legacy that heaven has given you. You look at him and say, I love you. You're called for much, but he's going to carry it. Little did she know a teenage atheist boy would encounter the living God that night. This woman bombarded heaven to rip me out of the grip of hell. Everywhere I go, I will, I will speak of this woman because we need laborers in this hour, fathers and mothers that will take a stand and say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. You can't have my children. You can't have my family. I push you back. She passed away. And Eric, her son Eric came to my house because he took it serious as well. He came to my house to repent because for those years that we had known each other, he had always been a Christian, but I had never known it. And he said, I come to repent to you because I'm I'm a son of God and I've been living as a son of the devil. That's what he told me. He said, "I've, I've led you astray. I haven't told you the hope of God, but here I am tonight. I said, Eric, wait, let me tell you the hope of God. This isn't religion. He's alive and he visited me. He's resurrected my body. He's restored me. He said, oh, brother, we need to go pray. I said, Eric, I don't know how to pray. He said, come to the church. Let me show you. My first worship song I ever heard was Praise You in This Storm by Casting Crowns. I didn't know if the laughter was good or bad. (laughs) Somebody told me they're like the Christian Nickelback or Christian... (laughs) But they mean something to me. And we go, and I said, I said, Eric, I don't know how to pray. He said, the same way you're speaking to me, you speak to the Father. He said, the same way you're talking to me, you talk to the Father. He said, and just stand up and open your hands and receive it. And I began, I began to talk to the Father. He left, and I began to talk to the Father, and I felt this this It was like this electricity hit the top of my head and went through my feet. And it was like pulsating as the more I talked to God. And, I, and I'm like, what is this? He's like, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's like, increase, Lord. Bang. And it's just like all over my body. I don't know how this happened, but somewhere through, uh, through the next well, let me back up. So we get done praying. We stay up all night. It's 3 in the morning. He's like, I feel like we need to call these businessmen. I said, dude, it's 3 in the morning. They got to be up at 5. Like, we're not going to do that. Everyone we called, they said, the weirdest thing, I've been awakened, can't sleep. I know this is God. We call. We literally call all of them on the phone. They all get delivered. They all get set free. It was. This is how I came into prayer. And I'm like, man, if this is prayer, I'm doing this the rest of my life. We go to leave. Literally, this church this church could not fit more than 35 people. It was this tiny little, little Hispanic church that, man, they went in. Like in the American church, we have lock-ins where we do video games and have fun and just do whatever. In the, in the Latino church, the lock-in was you're going to fast and pray all night. You're not going to sleep. You're going to stand up if you're tired, pace the floors. We're going to go after something. Restore it, Father. And so we go to leave. And uh, it was like 4 or 5 in the morning at that point. The sun wasn't even up yet. We opened the door, and when we broke the threshold to go back out into the parking lot, we heard from the sanctuary, we heard these, these, these like horn-like, just, uh, yeah, I didn't know it at the time, So shofar's blowing from the sanctuary, but there was no one in there but us. I said, what was that? He said, in the Bible, that means it's wartime. He said, are you ready? I said, bro, I'm ready. I'm made to fight. Like, let's go after this thing. (laughs) Will says amen. The next day, literally, I go home. I close my eyes. He calls me at 6 o'clock, an hour later. He said, I'm coming over. You need to get up. I said, what happened? He said, no, no, I'm coming over. He comes over and he has a picture. He was taking pictures while we were praying and literally in the picture, in the corner of the, in the, corner of the walls, there's these illuminated figures about 13 foot high and they're like this. He said, we entertained angels last night. That's who blew the shofar. Hallelujah. I took it as amen. I thought people would be more excited. I took it as amen. <laughs> These different experiences, they marked my life with the reality of prayer. And I carried them in my heart because I wanted them as realities. There's a man named Daniel Nash. I want to talk about him for a moment. See, years ago, I think it was in 2015 or 14, I don't remember. We had met Jeremiah. The elder here, not Prophet Jeremiah from the Bible, but this Jeremiah. We met him at a youth and young adult conference, and he was there to to support uh, brother Russell, Corey Russell, and uh, our house of prayer director said, "You need to let this man pray for you." He just blew my mind. So we're like, "All right, cool." And he pulls me and Kathleen aside, and he starts prophesying the craziest things over us. <clears throat> one of the things he says, one of the things he said was, "The Lord is calling you to be a house of prayer. You will embody the house of prayer." I didn't even know what that meant. I'm like, "Only house of prayer I know is IHOP, Kansas City." During this time, I was, I was at that, that youth and young adult conference. I was, I was speaking. I was doing some ministry there. And the next morning, this man that didn't know Jeremiah prophesied over us, didn't know he prayed for us, he walked up to me. And he handed me this book. He handed me this book, Daniel Nash, The Prevailing Prince of Prayer. And inside of it, he handed me a prophecy that Jeremiah had written about God raising up a Nashorite army. And he, he handed me the book and he said, I don't know you, but this is what your life will look like in the days ahead. Reading the life of Nash, it blew my paradigm to the reality and the access in which we're given through the place of prayer. Because in James chapter 5, it says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elisha was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. (coughs) Father Nash, let me just say this. It's not enough to preach a message. It's, It's not enough to... To just say words and try to come up with something cool and something trendy. It's not enough to preach a message, but the anointing comes when we have become the message. And this is what I found in the life of Daniel Nash. Daniel Nash was a a pastor who traveled and was seeing revival as an evangelist. But his church got upset, thought he was, they resented his traveling ministry, and they thought he was too old to be in the pastorate. So the whole church voted him out. The rejection, the rejection, um, it, it affected him so bad that he, he developed inflamed eyes where he could, not be, he could not see any light for several weeks. He locked himself in a dungeon of a room, dark with a veil, in a dark room with a veil over his face. He couldn't read, he couldn't write, he didn't do anything. All he gave himself to was the place of prayer. After several weeks, he came out. And in recent, like right after that, he was, on, he was on the commissioning board of, of an a organization that would ordain Charles Finney to preach the gospel. Do we know who Charles Finney is? New York revivalist, great awakening in America. He linked arms with him, and, and, and Charles Finney said, when Brother Nash, that's what they called him, when Brother Nash came in the room, I looked at him, and I knew he had this spirit of prayer on him. They began a ministry together, and the ministry they did at Charles Finney as the evangelist, they linked arms together, and their ministry was for souls, and its foundation was prayer. Nash Nash and his good friend Abel Clary, they would often go to the city where Finney would preach three to four weeks in advance to bombard heaven for an outpouring of souls into the kingdom of God. Leonard Ravenhill said, I met an old lady, this is Leonard Ravenhill, I met an old lady who told me a story about Charles Finney that has challenged me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister, but before he began, this is the woman telling the story, two men knocked on the door of, of her humble cottage, wanting lodging. The poor woman looked amazed, for she had no extra accommodations, but finally... For about 25 cents a week, the two men, none other than Father Nash and Clary, rented a dark and damp cellar for the period of Finney's meeting for at least two weeks. Here's the key. And there in that self-chosen cell, those prayer partners battled the forces of darkness. Another account says, on one occasion I went When I got to the town to start revival, a lady contacted me. This is Finney talking and said, Brother Finney, do you know of Father Nash? He and two two men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at, at them because I could hear them groaning and I saw them down on their faces. They have been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor and groaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in, and I didn't know what to do. Would you please come see about them? Listen to Finney's response. Finney said, no, it isn't necessary. They just have a spirit of prayer and travail. Amen. Many times, Nash would not attend the meetings, but he gave himself entirely to, the, to, to prayer to see, this, the, to see the spirit poured out over this meeting. Finney said his evangelistic party consisted of prayer partners who went before him and sought the Lord in some, secu- some secluded spot. And when Finney was preaching, Father Nash and Mr. Clary were hidden away somewhere praying for him. And then he says, no wonder cities were stirred and a vast harvest of souls were reaped. He gives credit to his entire revival to two men in a covenant of prayer, locked away where no one could see them, no one could hear them. It is the reason revival came. (laughs) Finney also said this this when I was I was rereading his story and rereading the account of Finney about Nash, and I just was weeping. This simple phrase, this simple phrase convicted me so much. Finney said, our gentle prayers accomplish so little, but it's because they cost us so little. He went on to say, I've never known a person to sweat blood, but I've known a person to pray till blood started from his nose. And I've known persons to pray till they were wet with all perspiration in the coldest weather in winter. I have known persons to pray for hours till their strength was all exhausted with the agony of their minds. Such prayers prevailed with God. This agony in prayer was prevalent in John Edwards' day and in the, re- in, in the revivals which then took place. Their concern over the loss brought the greatest stress to their minds and their souls. They groaned under the load. They risked health and gave up comforts that the battle of the heavenlies might be won. Sometimes they would They would writhe and groan in agony over souls, and God honored their burden bearing in sin revival. Privately they prayed and publicly God answered. Oswald J. Smith, he says, he all He says, speaking of the importance of such strivings in prayer, he says he always preached with the expectation of seeing the Holy Spirit suddenly poured out until this happened, little or nothing was accomplished. But the moment the Spirit fell upon the people, Finney had nothing else to do but to point them to the the Lamb of God. Thus he lived and wrought for years in an atmosphere of revival, all credited to prayer. We refuse to so strive, and should not. We refuse to so strive, and should not be surprised at the lack of God's mighty stirrings. It is not amazing that we have no problem. Is it not amazing that we have no problem with people wearing themselves out in sports for pleasure, work for money, politics for power, programs for charity, but think it fanatical to so pray for souls? Would we die for, for national freedom, but never for the progress in the kingdom of God? Is it any wonder why we see so little of God's great working? Nash would pray until he had to go to bed absolutely sick for weakness and faintness under the pressure. The world would have no problem with such dedication except to that of prayer. I was, I was, when I was studying this and putting this in my notes, I said, Father, I said, I don't want to present that we need to strive or we need to perform in order to get you to move. I said, this sounds a little intense. This sounds a little too much. And he said, I felt the Father say, these men did not agonize and travail to get my heart and my attention. They did it because they had my heart and my attention. perspective finney said nash was the indispensable element of an effective method to reach the lost we cannot forsake the place of prayer it's a four-letter word but it's allowed in the church pray Hebrews 11.33 says, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. They're speaking of the patriarchs of the faith. Right? We know that. The Passion Translation says their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them down into reality. Wow. That verse says they obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Does that not sound familiar? Let's relate it to prayer and something spiritual. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, the spiritual forces in which, of wickedness in the heavenly places. When Let me ask you this. When was the last time we entered prayer with this mindset? The mindset to obtain promises. When was the last time we got in the place of prayer and and, and, and entered in in order to shut the mouths of lions? When was the last time we stepped in the place of intercession to quench the fire of hell? When was the last time we got in the place of prayer that our brother, ourselves, and our family would escape the sword? We had a young man in our ministry where we're from in Sarasota, he came to us one day and he said, oh, Kathleen, he said, my mother, uh, excuse me, my grandmother is dying, she, her heart is failing, and, and she needs to drive to Texas to get a new heart. Can you pray for her that she makes it? I said, brother, how about we pray God gives her a new heart? We pray with him, our brother Ramon, we pray with him, we lock horns, we go in. He said, he said his grandmother left, left Florida Literally right out of the doctor's office left Florida with a terrible heart drove to Texas by the time she got to Texas they checked her on the operating table they said ma'am you were misdiagnosed there's no reason you should be here you have the heart of a teenager Come on there's hope this morning He came back two weeks later. He came back two weeks later. He said, Raul, he said, my mother just found out there's cancer in her body. I don't know what to do. I said, brother, he did it for your grandma. He'll do it for your mother. He said, all right, let's go. We prayed, she left the doctors, went to the next one the next week, gone. One of Kathleen's best friends, her name is Gisela. Her and her husband they got, they were together, she, and they separated. She got saved after they separated, and, and uh, it was just terrible. He was cheating on her, running all these drugs, doing all these things. It was a terrible, terrible place to be, and her heart was just broken, and she did, she couldn't see anything but divorce. And we said, no, Gisela, we're going to lock arms, and we're going to believe for heaven to just bombard him. And we prayed. We prayed and God broke in, restored their marriage. They're their pastors in Texas. They're, I mean, they're like raising up a generation of evangelists like I've never seen before. Literally, we were just talking with her last week. A woman, a homeless woman, knocked on her door. She said, I don't have much to give you, but come in and take a shower. Here's a jacket because it's cold outside. And let me tell you about the gospel. And it all came from the place of prayer. We had a fr- we have another friend, Amber. She's an intercessor like no other. Her grandfather was the one, uh, James Irwin, that brought the Genesis rock back from the moon. Her, I, I tell her all the time, your mom is my best friend because she needs to teach me how to pray. They're like the type. They were walking through New York City, and a, a high rank warlock walked out of the alleyway, and they said, I know you. I know your name. Your name is Amber. Da-da-da. Your mother is da-da-da, and this is your grandmother. This is the patriarch of the family. I know you because you pray, and you you quench my works here in New York City. Come on, there's a place. Uh, See, people are like, man, I want to be known in heaven. That's great, but I want to be wreaking such havoc in the place of prayer that hell knows me by name and knows my address. Why? Because they should be intimidated when the sons of God are praying. That wasn't even the story. (laughs) Amber, fast forward, she she's she's with, she ends up getting in a relationship with a man who, who, who was an atheist at the time. His heart was hearted. He was cheating on her. He left her. And she's like, I don't see any hope. I was like, man, let's pray. We began to pray. This man was an atheist. No one was around him. He, he went out to get drunk and get high one night. He, stumbled, he literally stumbled past the church. There was no lights on, but something told him, open the door and go in. He opens the door. It was unlocked. So maintenance men checked the doors. <laughs> he opened the door. It was unlocked. He walks in. He says he walks in and sat in the first chair in the last row. And when he sat down, this presence hit him. Bang and the reality of god came over him his heart came alive and he said and and the father told him what are you doing go and love your family and love me on the way the reality of prayer in numbers 16 47 through 48 it says then aaron Aaron took, took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. To me, this is one of the clearest pictures of what prayer is. Prayer is not wistful thinking. Prayer is not giving positive energy. We're, lock, we're locking in with the Father to end and to shift things. What was the last word that the Father spoke in the Old Testament? I promise you I'm ending. What was the, what was the last word the Father spoke in the Old Testament? Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I'm going to send you, Elisha the prophet, before the coming and great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of their children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. We love praying that in prayer meetings, but do we understand what he was saying? The Father is ple- Pleading with the people to turn back or go back to what? The father was not just talking to good. He wasn't just talking to good fathers and nice children. He was talking to priests. Malachi is about the priesthood. He's confronting the priesthood. He's saying restore the weapon of prayer. This isn't, oh, just have nice kids. Just have kids that make good grace. He's saying, no, teach them the ways of the priesthood. Restore to them the place of prayer. Restore to them the place of intercession. This is why my greatest desire is not for my kids to to just have dreams to be uh, an astronaut, a firefighter, a teacher, I don't know, whatever kids dream about. But my goal is to get in them the spirit of prayer that my daughter, I can show you a recording on my phone. She's going, and I'm like, yes, God, because there's power in restoring what has been lost in this hour. The greatest thing I can teach my children is the power of prayer. I'm ending. Allison, could I please have you up here? My goal today was not to come with something lofty or too theological. I'm not smart enough to do that. But my goal is to put the fight back in you. And rock in. Anyone ever seen the Rocky movies? It was probably before you were saved because y'all are holy. I know it. I still watch them. I love them. Rocky three: you find a champion boxer, Rocky Balboa, who's become famous, he's become rich, and he's become popular, but he's also become lazy and disillusioned. He finds himself preparing to retire, and during his retirement speech, a, a young man walks through the crowd who we know as Mr. T. He walks through the crowd, to, and he begins disrespecting Rocky, and he challenges Rocky saying, you got your shot, now give me mine. And Rocky begins to, he, he, he leaves, and he, he leaves upset. And he, when he gets back to where he's at, his trainer, old Mickey, walks in. Praise God, he's like the Holy Spirit in this story. Mickey walks in, and Rocky becomes proud, and he says, Why won't you, why won't you let me fight him? And then he says, I've, defea- I've defended 10 world titles. Mickey looks at him, he walks straight up to this champion boxer, He says, he'll knock you into tomorrow. He says, you were supernatural and you were hard and nasty. You had a cast iron jaw, but the worst thing happened to you that can happen to any champion. You've become civilized. Rocky had to go back to his roots to get his passion back. He began training where he once trained in the beginning days. Rocky was faced with this dilemma. His past fame and achievements could not produce results in his presence. He had to get something new. Hunger drove him back to his roots. So this is what I want to tell you this morning. Let's just stand. This is what I want to do this morning. I want you to get your fight back in the place of prayer. I don't care what the world is saying. I don't care what your situation looks like. I want you to get your fight back. I don't want you to be civilized. I want this altar to be gripped and stained with hands that are saying, I will not let go until my children know you. I won't let go until things are different, Till tears are running down your face again. You're right, you have fight in you, but if you fight the enemy the way you are right now, he'll knock you into tomorrow. It's time to get uncivilized again. I want to open up these altars. If you've walked away from the place of prayer, if you feel dead in the place of prayer, if you have prodigals, I I felt a grace this morning. If If you have those in your family or your friends that have walked away from God, I believe there's a grace this morning to cry out for them. The greatest, need, the greatest thing we need in the church right now is those that have and wield the weapon of prayer. Lou Engle came and he said, he said God once gave me the long hairs, now God has given me the gray hairs. I want to I beseech and beg an older generation. We need you. I need you. Listen to me, gray hairs. I need you, and my generation needs you. We need fathers and mothers to to teach my generation endurance and perseverance in the place of prayer. So I want you to respond to gray hairs in this room. I want you to commit again to teach a generation to be an example, to bombard heaven for souls and for, for breakthrough. Come on, let's get our fight back this morning. No longer will we be powerless Christians. Restore the fire in us, God. Restore the fight in us, God. We don't want to just... Pray weak prayers. We want to pray prayers that will shift things, God. I'm believing for my family. I'm believing for my friends. Come on, Jeff. I'm believing for your children, Jeff. I'm believing for your son this morning. I'm believing for your son this morning show I'm believing for my sister I'm believing for my uncles for my cousins I'm committed again to the place of prayer <laughs> God restore to my generation a spirit of travail, a spirit of intercession. God, raise up the hands, God, raise up the hands in this hour. Come on, tell the Father, mark me again, mark me again. Jeremiah prophesied in that dream for every one voice of awakening, God would raise up seven voices of intercession